0: Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen, and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 40, and it was recorded on Thursday, April 30th, 2020. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. This is our seventh episode of 2020. We are joined by Jay Love, Chief Relationship Officer and co-founder of Blue Meringue, Kelly Morris, Senior Associate at Vitreo Group, and Brady Josephson, Managing Director of the Next After Institute. Our topic: COVID-19 forced us, well, most of us anyway, over the digital divide. Now what? One of the defining characteristics of this time is uncertainty. There is a lot of uncertainty, but not everything is uncertain. After resisting the groundswell of going digital for what seemed like the last decade, enforced social distancing and work at home requirements have jumpstarted the entire nonprofit sector into going digital. Join us as we talk with three experts about what they think in general, what they think will stick, what won't, and what else is in store for us in this brave new digital world. Time for the Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast. Welcome to Episode 40 of Brain Trust Philanthropy Powered by Betrayal. This is our seventh episode of 2020. Our topic, COVID-19 forced most of us over the digital divide. Now what? We've invited three amazing professionals, all of whom work and advise clients in the digital and online space. They're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started. First, joining us from the great state of Indiana, we have Jay Love. Jay is the Chief Relationship Officer and the Co-Founder of Bloomerang. This is Jay's second visit with us at Brain Trust Philanthropy. He last joined us for two years ago, along with Tony Myers, John Gormley, and Kathy Mann for our episode on research in the nonprofit and philanthropic space. Jay, we're so glad you could make time for us today. Welcome back.
1: Great to be back. Thank you for having me again.
0: Jay and I got to know a little bit more about each other through his participation in our podcast. Uh, before I invited Jay to join our podcast alumni family, I only re- really knew of him through his association with Bloomerang. Um And so we're going uh, 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 to get a chance later on in the podcast to hear more about what Bloomerang does and, and uh, the amazing things that that company is all about. But before we do that, in the previous show, I know we talked a little bit about a, a COVID-19 or a coronavirus story that you, you shared with us. I'm wondering if you could share it with our listening audience.
1: Oh, I'd be glad to. Yeah, I was uh, talking about my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, who's uh, uh, coming up on her 87th birthday. She was in a, relative, a really nice uh, retirement home here in Indiana, and they had gone into lockdown. But unfortunately, one of the individuals serving the food to them was an undiagnosed virus uh, transfer person. And she can, she uh, was it, unfortunately had uh, contacted the virus and was uh, moved into even more isolation. And then eventually, because of breathing problems, had to be moved to one of the uh, hospitals here in Indianapolis, into the ICU, and onto a ventilator. And when they placed her on the ventilator, they said, you know, you may want to go ahead and make plans for what would be coming next, because anybody her age is only 10 or 15% that come out, ever come off the ventilator. Well, three days later, we get a phone call, And they say, you're not going to believe this, but we've been turning the settings down on the ventilator to the lowest setting. And if she goes through the night that way, we plan on taking her off the ventilator on Monday morning. And sure enough, the next morning they took her off the ventilator. Within 24 hours, she was using her cell phone again, asking us what had happened in the last week. And she has been moved to a uh, rehab facility. And by the time everybody's listening to this podcast, she is back safe and sound into our nursing facility and just as happy as can be
0: that is a great story and such an important piece of news for people to hear jay i'm so happy for you and your family thanks for sharing that with us that was awesome
1: yeah you know speaking of the virus in general we had one day about three weeks ago where supposedly there were 52 new uh, cases tested for in indiana and three of them were uh close relatives of my family. So uh, it really has hit home here.
0: Wow. You had that many in your family. That's crazy. Yep,
1: yep. I had a brother-in-law and his wife and ironically they have five children and the hospital told them that there was no need to test the children. So those five children, although most likely uh, testing positive if they would have been tested, were not ever added to the totals. So yeah. it's five of them that goes go untotaled.
0: Okay, well, uh, I'm going to be coming with you to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Next joining us from all the way on the other side of the continent, at least for now, we have Brady Josephson. Brady is the managing director of the Next After Institute. Currently, Brady and his family live and work in Vancouver. Brady is no stranger to podcasts. He's the creator of the Good Journey Pod Podcast. The Good Journey Pod is a podcast for social entrepreneurs, nonprofit professionals, and everyday philanthropists. I encourage you to add it to your podcast playlist. Brady, welcome to the Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh we've actually started a new one called The Generosity Freak Show, which is all about how to grow philanthropy. So a lot of podcasts, but I'm normally on the other side. It's it's more fun to be on this side actually. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I, I I have to say I was a little bit intimidated, so at the end I'll need to get a bit of a critique. <laughs> Thanks, Brady. <laughs> um, at, at betrayal, we got to know Brady and some of his team last year when we hosted a full-day client appreciation workshop with Brady and the Next After Institute. It was a mind-blowing and for me humbling day of learning. Throughout the day, Brady asked the audience to predict which copy or design element tested better with donors and I was wrong 100% of the time. Uh, As Chief Marketing Officer for Betrayo, that hurt. Brady, (laughs) we're going to hear your thoughts on the forced digital embrace by the nonprofit sector in a few minutes. (laughs) But for now, I know you and your family are about to embark on a new and grand adventure. In less than a month, you're going to leave Vancouver, and you're all moving to Texas. Can you share a bit about what prompted this move and what it was like planning that move in a time of travel
2: and social distancing restrictions. Yeah, it's it's been really, really interesting. So we actually made this decision to move in the summer months and months ago. Uh, our company is based in Dallas, Texas. I was the only one working remote. We used to have a satellite office in Jacksonville, but that has since shut down. So I think remote working can uh, work, but it generally needs to be, everyone needs to be remote. If everyone's in person, we eat lunch together as a team every day. We have meetings. And I'm the only one remote. It was really, really difficult. Plus, I was doing a lot of travel and flying out of Vancouver is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And as we're trying to build this institute, I think you can maintain something that's built from a distance in terms of my team. But I think it's really, really difficult to build a team, to build a product, to build an institute while being remote. So for this next phase of uh, the next few years before my son really starts school, uh, we said, well, let's just go down to Texas and give this a shot. So we made that decision a long time ago and then work visas, and we had no idea that we ended up, we would be moving in the middle of a global pandemic. So we actually had to buy our house, sight unseen, just on FaceTime. So we had our realtor do like a FaceTime walkthrough. Luckily, my boss, Tim, he was there to kind of, um, you know, make sure that the realtor wasn't lying or anything like that. And uh everything's just, you know, e-signatures and all online. And uh we're hoping that the house looks as good in person as it did uh, on FaceTime.
0: Well, that's great. Thanks, Brady. I'm sure it will be. I um, I know in the, the pre-show, Jay shared with us a, a story about a company that actually does some of that travel around a house in a very sort of real-time and recorded format. I think it's called Real Link. Um, so feel free to pitch that at the end if you want again uh, there, Jay. Um, so finally, last but not least, oh, well, before I go there, Brady, good luck on your move finally last but not least we have betrayal's very own kelly morris kelly is a senior associate with betrayal and like jay kelly has been on our show before kelly uh last joined us just over a year ago along with suzanne duncan uh siobhan doherty and laureen mcneil to talk about mental health for fundraisers so welcome back kelly thank you kelly and i are colleagues but more than that kelly and her family are very close friends of our family And yesterday, Kelly and her husband Zintas celebrated 20 years of marriage. Congratulations to both of you. You're an amazing couple, and Christine and I are very happy for both of you, and we're blessed to know you both as friends. Kelly, you are our firm's thought leader in the digital space, and I know you'll have lots to share uh, on this topic as we dive into it. But before that, you also have two wonderful teenage children, Ella and Curtis. Like most of the world, like all of us, they and you are working and schooling from home. I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit about what that's like.
3: That's an interesting play. I have a son who is 14 and in grade 8, and I also have a daughter who is nearly 17 and in grade 11. I feel actually quite lucky that they weren't in sort of graduating years because I do feel terrible for some of these kids in grade 12 and and whatnot that are not for seniors, I guess, in the American you know, not being able to graduate with their friends is, uh, you know, kind of just makes my heart sad for them. That's difficult, you know, staying on top of them. I mean, they're pretty independent. I've raised them to be independent kids. And so trying to just stay on top of it from a daily basis. And to be honest, one of the things I've realized though, is I think they're learning just a lot about family time and being at home and it's not such a race. And so, you know, rather than stress out about them not learning their academics, I think that uh, they're learning a lot of cool stuff. Um, and Curtis is probably becoming a super gamer, so maybe we'll get him on track, <laughs> do some uh, some gaming stuff or fundraising or something down the track. Anyway, it's fine. They're going to be okay, I think.
0: All right. Well, so you mean they're not spending four four hours each a day on school?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Probably not. <laughs> no. I can fix it. Thanks, Kelly. Um, yeah, thanks. Okay. Let's get started. Thank you all for joining us on this 40th podcast. Our topic, COVID-19 forced most of us over the digital divide. Now what? The WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic on March 11th. We're recording today's podcast on April 30th. Over the last seven weeks, we've watched the largest human behavior behavior movement in history. Countries have closed their borders, sports arenas are dark, many hospitals have become war zones, and most of the world, including the four of us, is and are working from home. In many cases, with our children, alongside our spouses and partners, and along with our dogs and cats, as many of us have seen on Zoom videos when they join us, usually the best distraction of the video. As we record this podcast, some of these restrictions have been or soon will be lifted, but the trajectory of our economy, the nature of work, and our social norms have been dramatically altered, in some cases maybe forever. It has been and remains an extraordinary time. Today, there have just been over 3.2 million confirmed coronavirus cases worldwide. Uh, That's a million more cases than we we did the podcast two weeks ago, Uh, but in happier news, over 1 million people have fully recovered, including Jay Love's mother-in-law, which is so awesome, and members of his family. That's so great. These are truly unprecedented times, and where we end up and where we come out from physical distancing and work-at-home rules remains uncertain. But not everything is uncertain. For years, entire sectors resisted our exhortations to move online and to develop digital strategies for work, for communications, and for philanthropy. Now, in what seems like almost overnight, much of the world is embracing the digital and online world. Education, known overall for the very slow adoption of online learning, is today almost exclusively teaching online. As recently as January, there were in-depth articles about how the non-profit and film profit sectors were increasingly on the wrong side of the digital divide. In the last few weeks, the 180 around the adoption of digital by this sector has been nothing short of miraculous. So, the question arises, is this embrace of a brave new digital world a new normal, or will we backslide to the old normal once a few months or years have passed by? Brady, let's start with you. What have you seen in our business? What are you predicting will be happening in the short term? And will it stick?
2: Big questions. Um, so on the last one, will it stick? Let's start there. I, I sure as heck hope so. It's it's interesting <laughs> being uh, you know on this podcast with, with Jay because um, – a lot of the work that, that Jay's done at Boomerang and work with Adrian Sargent, uh, has been really formative for me and, uh, a lot of the stuff that I read early in my fundraising career, really the focus on donor retention and donor loyalty. But fast forward, you know, 10 years, 15 years, and unfortunately, we're not doing so great at donor retention and donor loyalty. So I'm, I'm on both sides of the equation. On one side, we're seeing online giving grow incredibly rapidly. We've built a benchmark to try to track this in real time, and we're seeing online giving up 13%. uh, Email volume's up. Email response rates are up. So people are starting to see success, and so hopefully that will, you know, lead people to say, hey, this should be more of the new normal, or we should invest in this. But I've also been around long enough to know that a lot of the things that we think people should do, even though there's a lot of data and evidence behind it, doesn't always lead to things that stick or actually truly changing human behavior. So I'm uh, a little skeptical at this point still whether or not we will actually be able to push organizations uh, over that digital divide or not, but I sure as heck hope so.
0: And what are you predicting? Are you like in your own business, instead of predicting, tell me what's happened in your own business. Uh, Has your business slowed down or have people that have been sort of on the fence for a while suddenly um, picked up the phone?
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because in, in a really sick way, um, we're we're growing and have never had as much interest or success in what we do, right? So we're a fundraising research lab that focuses on digital marketing and online fundraising. So we do research of two types. We make donations and we sign up for emails and we track the whole experience, categorize it, catalog it, analyze it, and create research studies to say, here's the donor experience on the front end. And then the second type of research is we do experiments with nonprofits and clients. I was just analyzing one for a public radio station in Seattle where we look at what's actually working when it comes to emails and donation pages. Because as you alluded to, often our gut instincts as marketers and fundraisers is not just wrong, but completely wrong in terms of trying to predict donor behavior. This is why testing is so important. So we're, we have this, we've been doing this for years. And so we have over 2,500 experiments. We've got you know nine different research studies. We've got eight online courses. And we advise and consult large nonprofits on how to optimize and improve online fundraising. So we are, you know, unintentionally really well positioned for organizations to make this move. I mean, somewhat intentionally. So what's really weird is, you know, clients we've been talking to for eight years are all of a sudden like, yep, let's sign a deal in two weeks. And now we're in these, you know, working relationships or strategies that we've been talking to clients about for years. Compassion International is is a large client who does child sponsorship And a large part of how they actually go about securing child sponsors is physical events. They've got artists, right? They have an artist program. So you have child sponsor packets under a seat. And then there's a call to action. Please sponsor a child today. Well, all those events are gone. And so something that they've been wanting to do and something we've been pushing them to do is really double down on content marketing and email acquisition. Well, now they have to. So, and they're seeing incredible success, acquiring emails, you know, for 50 cents and turning those folks into donors. Like, they're seeing huge success, and we're seeing huge success. People are more interested in courses. So that's all great, but, you know, that's balanced with, like, people are losing their lives, and then we get emails back from people saying, I'd love to attend this workshop, but I may not have a job next week. So it's this really interesting, sobering thing where, at one level, it's really exciting. We're seeing things. We're seeing success. And then at the same time, it's just – it's a really, really tough time for tons and tons of people. So, yeah, it's its a, it's a really interesting time. Um, some positives and then, you know, some negatives. But business side, it's its generally pretty positive.
0: Well, as long as you guys didn't sit down last summer and go, okay, when the pandemic comes, it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you did that. So no. Keep going.
2: No, we did yeah. not.
0: Jay let's, <laughs> Jay, let's turn it over to you. What are you seeing – uh, do you think it's going to stick? Uh, what
1: are your thoughts? Well, you got to remember you're talking to the guy that back in 1998 uh, was convincing everybody that you could put your database online when people were using dial up modems. you know, we used to take <laughs> the phone down and put it in a coupler. So, uh, so, yeah, uh, <laughs> yep, you got it. You got it. Yeah. You've got mail. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, uh, I'm a big believer that yes, this is going to stick. And, uh, people did have to rush when all of a sudden the stay-at-home orders started coming in by country and state and et cetera, et cetera, to do that. People were calling my company, Bloomerang, and in a panic, they had a database that was on a single computer back at their office, and nobody was going to take that computer home with them. What were they going to do? Or they had a group of spreadsheets that were on somebody's computer. And so we were really scrambling to help them bring something that they could access from remote places but what i think the one of the key turning points here is that people that that were technology shy and uh, avoiding such resources like executive directors and ceos all of a sudden they couldn't say i'm not going to operate without technology anymore they were forced to go through a metamorphosis and say i am now part of the technology world and who has a bigger play with major donors and with the major supporters of any organization than the CEOs and other people that in some cases were really gun-shy. We're even seeing board members now be able to do that. And I think now that people realize, you know what, this is really not as hard as it, as you thought it was going to be. You can access technology. You can do what we're doing here and do conference call lines and do Zoom meetings and et cetera. And be able to be fairly productive so I think it's going to stick plus I think it's going to be a very long road to go back we were just talking myself with uh, we have about 120 employees at our office and we're in two buildings but in those two buildings there's about six different restrooms well even if you get the proper social distancing and everything else what are you going to do about the restrooms you know are you going to have to have someone clean them every 15 minutes or sanitize them? What is going to happen? So I think until there's a, a full-fledged proven vaccine, uh, the, the switch over to this technology is going to have to be fairly permanent.
0: That's a great comment. The, um, one of the next inflection points that people have been talking about in the market is um, it's not a certainty, but there's definitely thought to be a change around that point, which is the vaccine. Uh, so that that does start to really seriously change uh, uh, where things are going. Theaters are empty right now, and theater goers are probably not going to go back until there's such a thing. So it's very interesting to hear about those thoughts, Jay, and also the embracement. I used that language a little provocatively in the opening about people being forced into this, but I think CEOs and EDs perhaps have. Um, I'm going to open it up in a minute, but Kelly, I want to give you a chance, because we've got um, Brady saying, eh, I don't know if it's going to stick. And Jay's going, oh yeah, it'll stick. And uh, I know that you guys are probably closer together than that, but I'm—it's a podcast, so I've got to be a little provocative.
1: Yeah, you, you, you got to make it. got to put them, you guys I, in.
0: Cor- I've got to put you guys in corners. I got to introduce the yeah. tension. Uh, Kelly, what are you going to do to bring these guys together? <laughs> Actually,
3: I do think I do think I have a good job to do, and that I can take a lot of what Brady's done and his research, which I love. Thank you for doing all that, and then also take what Jay's done. And practice my convincing efforts that this is the way to go in something like a great CRM like Blue Marine seems to be. I um I do spend a lot of time kind of just talking to you know nonprofit leaders, um you know EDs even at this point is who I really I think need to speak to and practice my convincing methods to show them um exactly what happens you know taking some of the research from what you know brady's done and um, really showcase the opportunities i think what we really need to um, talk about is just having the courage to try it i think that we are in a position right now where people are embracing some change and that to me has been the hardest part it's always worked this way so why would i change it you know, policies are hard to break and processes, you know, oh no, we couldn't do that. Um, but yeah, just taking some time to take all this, you know, interesting stuff. And especially, you know, you can just see it in the for-profit side, you know, that can totally work in our side of the, uh, of the desk. And I think the last thing for me though is that people, what I would like to really help people understand is how to build relationships online. Um Jay, I can take you one further and I uh, worked for a company that had MP3.com uh before Apple ever put music out. So <laughs> I'm right. with you. And yeah, uh, they were called they were called MP2s, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely didn't have MP4 then. Um, yep. But yeah, didn't like just. I love this stuff. I just feel that um it's really just an opportunity to help Uh, convince and convert really um, a lot of these leaders to say hey this works especially now So
0: That's great Um, I'll put a question out there which you guys can totally uh, uh, ignore if you want to bring up more topics and there's lots to talk about but what is this whole thing uh, kind of uh, uncovered for us? Leave aside the embrace. Um, are Are there things that this whole process has kind of said oh that's interesting. I didn't expect that to happen in the digital and online space. Uh, you know, a good example from my perspective would be um, capacity. Uh, in some cases, the scale-up happened so quickly that the, some of our digital uh, under-processes and framework had, had trouble keeping up. Uh, in the first week or two, that some of that was communications technology where things were, were troublesome. Last weekend in Canada, uh, there was a, a nationwide uh, event, much like what Lady Gaga did a couple weeks ago, where lots of artists and, and sports uh, celebrities came online in in service to Food Banks Canada. So it was a 150 million dollar campaign for Food Banks Canada, and right along the screen on the bottom was the text "To Give" piece, which failed immediately.
1: Well, not, not
0: not not halfway through it was so overwhelmed within the first couple of minutes. People actually couldn't make their gift until hours after the broadcast.
1: Yeah. It sounds sounds like the first couple giving Tuesdays where systems went down pretty miserably too.
0: Yeah. Now, so, I, uh, Go ahead, Jay. If
1: I, if I could jump in, because I know uh, the others may have a little bit more to say about that because they're very involved uh, in the digital part of things. But I think, from just a natural resource side, too, one of the things that's been sort of a side key benefit here, all of a sudden we're seeing infrastructure, like all of our roads and highways are far less crowded, all the pollution's down, conservation is up, and people may be saying, you know what, this may not be such a bad thing not to require everybody to travel all the way across the city every day back and forth to go to an office when they're twice as productive at home in some cases because they don't have that travel time, but more importantly, what has it done positively for our environment? I mean it's That's been sort of problem. neat to be it's been sort of neat to be able to travel to the hospital where my mother in law was, uh, to check on something and to be able to do it at five o'clock and just zip right across town, which is unheard of in Indianapolis right now, which I'm sure is also the case in Vancouver and Calgary too. Hmm.
0: Absolutely. Uh, what's interesting is I'm not sure I'd want to be someone who has large swaths swaths of real estate in larger areas for offices. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like that, that might be a, a questionable investment going forward. What about you, Brady? What are you seeing that are kind of aha moments for you? Well, if we're, if we're talking more just like uh, our own personal lives,
2: one thing I've been shocked with is how hard it is to get a tea time now. Uh, the, the surge in people looking to golf and just get outside and do something and the fact that so many courses are closed, it is impossible to get a tee time unless you're like a member at a private country club. So that's, uh, that's what's surprising to me. Um, you're you're, you're going to a
1: lot, you're gonna have a lot more options down in Dallas, so get ready.
2: Yeah, I hope so. <laughs>
1: uh, I should
2: hope so. <laughs> um, on the on the <laughs> side, I think... No Keep bad. going, Brady. Uh, on, the, on the giving side, I think um, one of the things that I have been interested in—maybe I should have known this—but is more the like positive press and focus on donor advised funds. Um, so I used to work for donor advised fund uh, here in Canada, and so I'm pretty, you know, pro donor advised fund in the grand scheme of things. And they've taken a lot of negative press. Some of it warranted, a lot of it not warranted. But you know, research that was done a few years back, talking about the resiliency of donor advised funds, has really come to the fore of saying, you know, in actually recession times and times of doubt, giving people who've already made their gifts uh, can really help sustain organizations. And um, more research on flow rates and how much money actually goes in and out of DAFs within a year is actually really high, and it actually goes up when the economy's down. So people who have DAFs are really helping sustain a lot of organizations. And, um, you know, the, we just did a study where we looked at ways to give, and we found that less than 20% of organizations have any mention of a donor advised fund on their ways to give page. So, again, there's this kind of um, opportunity, you know, meets the reality. Um where so here's this thing that's kind of rising in prominence and we see that it has an opportunity and uh, it's getting positive press but then we also see how unequipped nonprofits are to really take advantage of that and how little of a strategy they actually have so that's been one of you know many interesting things but that was not something that I wasn't you know necessarily expecting to see uh but I found it very interesting
0: i find it interesting brady that you brought that up because i just was reading some positive press on DAFs, which was kind of counterpoint to negative press that's kind of been bubbling for the last couple of years. It seems to get more of a voice around it. Uh, you know, like uh, we won't go into the details, but the, the reality is, is that a lot of people have been talking about how they might not be a good thing. And, and then in the last few weeks, just what you've mentioned, that people are saying, hey, these things are actually really helpful right now because uh, that, that gift has been made. And that's available for us to be using, which is a huge problem we're going to be facing, I believe, is the access to capital. So that should be an interesting point there. Um, Other things that people want to talk about with respect to that? Or did you want to introduce something new that you wanted to share with our listening audience around this topic or anything related to it?
1: Well, one of the things we have the extreme advantage and good fortune of being able to look at about 7,000 organizations and what they're doing and we've been running some analysis. I know this podcast is going to come out in June, but some analysis of what people did the last two weeks of March and through this month of April. Uh, and it's been interesting. We measured what which of our customers did any sort of a, an appeal uh, of any type, which people decided not to communicate with their donors, and which people did a crisis appeal. Anybody that did any sort of communication that was crisis-related their giving is up nearly 35% compared to the same time period a year before. The people that did not do any sort of communication to their donors, particularly crisis-related communication, their uh, revenue coming in is down 21%. So the, the it seems to be, and I've talked to a lot of our customers, you have some board members that say, you know, hey, let's, let's crawl in a hole, let's pull everything in let's not spend any money and let's not communicate with anybody then you have others saying let's openly communicate let them know are we involved in the crisis are we in a crisis ourselves and what the our donors can do to help us and we've seen such stark differences i just thought i would mention that and i'm sure the other two panelists have seen something like that too but uh, the statistics were just mind-boggling to take a close look at
0: absolutely brady i saw you nodding your head and for those of you who are listening, we've also got this on video, so that's why I can see him nodding his head. <laughs> I, yeah, no. I, go ahead, Kelly. Yeah,
3: go ahead. Oh, just, I, no, Kelly. The day, I think the um, the lack of uh, communication has been, um, yeah, just generally, I don't know. It's like, where are you? I have one that has been very, um, you know, looking one for charity. funds and – you know, it just it surprises me that I haven't heard from more, even just to say hello to be honest, because I do I do donate to quite a few and I've only well, even then the one that I heard from was more of um, you know, please give, um, not really checking in on me per se, which, you know, was one of our um, you know, just big ideas anyway. Um, I think just communication overall and being transparent about where everybody is at. Um even the ones that felt um, like they shouldn't be asking, I just it would have been nice to say, "Hey, mind you, there were a million emails I will say that in the first couple of weeks, so um, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, just to segue from what you said, Jay
0: Thanks, Kelly. I think uh, go ahead, Brady
2: well, what's interesting and one of the other like kind of surprising, not surprising things is good fundraising is good fundraising is good fundraising and what was good communications and fundraising outside of a pandemic is good fundraising within a pandemic. It's actually probably more important to do that kind of stuff. And the thing that, um, you know, we're really trying to hit home with people with data and evidence is how just cultivation communication or even non ask communication is so imperative to, to growing online revenue. So we've got experiments where we just sent one extra email a week, and increase revenue 42% over six months just by sending a cultivation-only email. No more asks, just more content saying, here's a blog post you might be interested in. And people like Roger Craver have done research on what drives owner retention, and they're saying 80% of it is really communication. Only 20% Absolutely. is like when you ask, right? So this is, again, what's frustrating is like we've known this. It's not like that's a new book. It's not like these concepts are new. And then something like this happens, and we just see silence. And silence is what leads yeah. to no revenue, unsubscribes, lack of engagement. We know this and yet we see organizations continue to do it and that's what's so frustrating. So I think, um, you know, a lot of people talk about like pivots and who's pivoting and everyone uses the word pivot probably too much. Uh, I think for me the organizations that are really successful are the ones that don't really have to pivot that much. They understand communications mm. are vital. They understand the value of speed and agility and imperfection. So there's just, you know, slight tweaks. And so I think that's, you know, Jay's data and the data that we have, those organizations that are taking that approach are separating themselves. And we've seen this in past recessions, organizations that actually invest in times like this. Media spend is down. It's easier to actually cut through. You can acquire at a cheaper rate if you know what you're doing. Like these organizations actually separate themselves, and we saw this in the last recession, and it sets Mm -hmm. you on a different trajectory if you can do some of these things well. So hopefully we can see more of that.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, My wife and I, I think, are probably a bit of the exception in that we support 17 organizations on an annual basis that we make an annual gift to them and do that. And we have heard, I kept pretty good track of this, I've only heard from 12 or 13 out of those 17. Mm -hmm. And a couple of them, you know, a few of them were major donors too, and they were right away are you and your family? are you and your wife safe uh you know is every is anything happening with the virus related to you? They were just either email messages, phone calls or text messages that were very personal, just checking on our well being uh to do that and then then some of those did change and ask where we they said you know it would it be possible to make your annual gift in the spring now rather than at the end toward the latter part of the year and all but i am I'm just a amazed that you know organizations that have board members that say we're going to sort of lock things down that don't turn to any sort of research or best practices to see if that's what they should be doing because they they will never pull out of it they will never be the same if they do go several months without communicating to their constituencies it's just such a suicidal thing to do
3: mm-hmm.
0: I have, I love that comment. I've read it before, but it's great to hear it on the podcast, uh, about 80% of the, the, the giving is from communication. And so mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I have a question for the group. Um, and I'm, I'm being selfish because tomorrow, um, which is of course, uh, back in time for those listening in the, in the <laughs> podcast, um, tomorrow, which, uh, which will be May 1st. Um, we're doing uh, our fourth Ask Anything Zoom call, and it's pretty popular. Uh, it's a, it's an open conversation around a topic. It's not a webinar, um, and you know we got close to 100 participants coming tomorrow, um, which is great. Um, but the, the the topic tomorrow is um, so uh, should I retool my case for support in response to COVID 19? Right, it's it's that classic. And, and I, I'm coming back to your comment, Jay, about you tested. Uh, people who did uh, uh, communications, uh, some of which uh, may have been right, I'm assuming, you know, could, could, could speak to their response to the crisis, but some of them are right. just responding to their, their own crisis, as in we're in trouble. And I'm wondering if there was uh, a, uh, any thoughts or ideas around how do organizations who can't immediately uh, sort of fit themselves into something to do with coronavirus? For example, higher ed. Uh, has lots going on in it in, on any given day, lots of great things. But during this time, they found the most effective asks have been emergency aid for students, uh, right, because it, it, people can identify that that's there. I'm sure there's other asks, too. So my question is, do people have to change their case, or do they just have to change their communication around their case? And I know there's not a right or wrong answer. I'm just curious what your thoughts are or what the research is showing, or, or, or is there's any research on that? i got silent i can sure nobody
2: wants yeah well i think we're all waiting for you to go
3: i guess i didn't
1: want to jump in i was going to let kelly go first this time so
2: yeah kelly go
3: ahead oh i'm um i suppose i'm a big proponent of um our cases being a little more dynamic anyway it doesn't mean that we change our mission and vision and you know the the opportunities that we're looking for but i do believe that um you know having some updated language perhaps could be helpful um I'm also a big pusher these days of having our case for support kind of included within our websites. It's such a big part of, you know, maybe our storefront, um, that perhaps you could get in there and, you know, at least put some updated information on there that would, um, include some of the pandemic and how said organization is reacting or helping out. Um, and I think that that will go far, uh, in people You know, there's a lot of people looking at information online and you will never know it. So let's make sure it's correct. You know, the tone is correct. All those things, I think, are really important. Thanks, Kelly.
0: Over to you, Jake.
3: I think there's going to be several mission
1: statements. Uh, Who knows what percentage, but I I would say at least a third of them are going to be affected. You know, the effect of the pandemic and the virus on homeless shelters, on uh, homeless populations, food banks, you you mentioned what the, you're done across Canada with the celebrities and all uh for that. Those those all need to be a slight update to the case statement because everything is gonna take that much more to be able to be uh done uh for that. Uh, any any organization that was reliant on special events, you know, I, I think the Coleman the walks and things of that nature, mm-hmm. those may never be the same again. Uh, to be able to do those in that manner. So that is going to change their case for support for many of those organizations. So I think folks need to gather around and take a look at that and say, is it, is it time that we do update those?
2: Great. great. Yeah. And just, just building off that. I mean, when we talk about like messaging, there's your core value proposition. I'm using hand gestures, which isn't great for a podcast, but you know, think of like a bullseye and a dartboard, yeah. like.
0: great, great. <laughs> <your laughs> Brady is making a little heart sign and little flower (laughs) shapes, but I don't know if they're actually what he's doing. Show (laughs) my Uh, diagram. Now, Post-it note. Great. Thanks for our our auditory audience. That was completely not useful. I'll describe it.
2: I'll describe it. Think about a dartboard and the bullseye. Like that's your core value proposition, and that doesn't change. That's why someone should support your organization. Um, that, That doesn't necessarily change in or out of a pandemic. But as you get out further out, this is when you start developing more specific value propositions to donor segments or even offer statements about why someone mm. should support your cause today. And your offer statement absolutely should be changed or tweaked to be more relevant to the situation. But the core reason why you exist and you know, your, your fundamental reason why someone should support you doesn't just you know, change. You're, you're probably pulling up different aspects about you know, why are you credible in a time like this? Uh, why are you unique or different or exclusivity? Why should someone care about your cause, you know, right now? Like these are still fundamental things, but you're probably just altering it a little bit. And so uh, we're starting to get some experiments around this. And um, the early three, we kind of call them like the Goldilocks effect, where one tried to kind of jam COVID-19 messaging into a membership renewal campaign, and it just bombed. Uh, 81% decrease in in response because it didn't feel really authentic. It was, you know, your public policy group asking me to renew my gift and, why are you talking about COVID? Like they just didn't make the connection. Another one talked about in times like these, and it's actually a health organization that does like personal journey sites. So people who have cancer or potentially dealing with COVID to per, you know produce blog updates. Like they should be doing really well, but they use language that says in times like these. That was the only difference between control and treatment. They saw no difference. And our theory is that it's just too vague. It's not specific enough. You know they need to really call out during the COVID nineteen pandemic being able to have access to family is more critical now than ever, you know, like make it very, very clear. And we assume they would have seen an increase. And then the third one, which is a public policy group, but they were able to connect their policy statement and this petition. And then into an instant donation, they were able to connect it directly to COVID. They're actually advocating Congress in the U S to not include a bunch of, you know, facts and unrelated things in the COVID bill, and to just focus on COVID response. And so they were actually able to kind of, you know, build off their core value proposition and align it to what's going on with COVID. And they saw, I think it was about a 40% increase in giving, and is the most successful offer they've, they've had since 2018. So, you know, it's kind of just throwing COVID in doesn't guarantee you success like it has to be relevant it has to still be authentic mm. but yes long answer short you should be tweaking message at the very least if not pulling out different aspects of your organization to to relate to donors because that's what's going on right now
0: i love the language of offer statement i know you've used it before and i know we've heard uh, similar statements but it's good to oftentimes in our business we use this blanket uh case for support case for support and uh it, it, it We sometimes need to think about the front end of that. Jay, did you want to offer anything to tag into that?
1: No, I I, I agree fully. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. It's got to be tied down. And obviously, before perhaps releasing it to a larger constituency, is to do it with some sort of a small test group or at least with your board members and see what the reaction is.
2: Right. And just, that's such an easy strategy that organizations typically don't do. I mean, especially if you have a little bit of volume, send out a message, send out an appeal to 10, 20%, see what the reaction is, and then send it out. I know we did this with our audience about our, our we got a big conference, and we're, you know, do we cancel it, do we not? So we sent it out to a sliver. And good thing, because A, we had tons of responses, and B, we took a ton of flack from a lot of people. So if we would have just gone off to, like, our whole list with this, you know, message, which was maybe imperfect, it would have been a bit of a nightmare. So it's risk mitigation, and it's such a simple strategy, Mm -hmm. particularly with email. That's a great point and suggestion.
1: Right, right. And you don't see it, you just don't see it very often done. There's so little testing that's done by most most of the nonprofits.
0: Yeah, yeah because people are, are, they I find, in my experience, has been that they don't project manage this stuff like they should, and so their timelines are, are untenable for that type of testing isn't built into the timeline, so all of a sudden, corruption has to happen, and there's no time, mm-hmm. and so that's
3: also, been a big barrier. Go ahead, Cal. Yeah. I was also going to say, HR plays a huge role, um, just the people yeah. that are on board and um, you know, even their ability or their knowledge to even test. And I think that's why it's so important, you know, to hear what, you know, Brady's doing and next after. I just, I'm still, you know, blown away by all that stuff myself. Like you said, Vincent, <laughs> um, you know, it there's a lot of research that can happen. And I like that risk mitigation. I think it's super important. And I think we just have the tools to do it now. So get at it, right?
0: I know, I know as a firm in the first, um, you know, a month or so of this pandemic, certainly in the first couple of weeks, uh, organizations were all over the place in their messaging. And so we kept them all and we just share them and we would instantly critique them. You know, uh, tone deaf, right on the mark, could do better. And in some cases, um, we saw organizations who maybe made a misstep um, and then they were able to sort of come back out and correct that. Uh, you know, like either some some of this stuff was already pre programmed. We saw some social media posts that were clearly put into, you know, some sort of a month ahead and they came out and they fell really awkwardly in the middle of lockdown. Right? And uh, so we saw some of that stuff going on. We looked at our own stuff to make sure that that was not a, not occurring. But we would actually rape them as they come in as the three partners in betrayal of the team. We go, Oh, <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so you know, I could see that going on. Um, I want to uh we we've got a couple minutes before we start to close out the show. Um and I wanna is there something you really wanted to share with our audience that we didn't talk about? I mean we can never cover all the topics. It's a big, big topic. Um, but it's something you want people to hear. Um I'm gonna give you a platform at the end, but something about this topic that you that we did. Anybody? Want Feel like we had a good well- discussion on that?
1: yeah yeah i think i think we I think we had an excellent discussion is that uh, i re- agree with my fellow panelists there uh more communications is better than less communications, and you know be uh, you don't have to be totally spot on but just be very open and honest and be sharing with your constituencies what's happening at your organization. Don't leave them guessing, and there's just too many organizations right now that have put their head in the sand and said. I'm not going to do anything, and, and everybody's wondering, are they okay? Are, are, they, are we doing, is our mission still going forward? Do they need help? Do they not need help? Uh, I, I just mm-hmm. think that in this time, make the communications be even more important to everybody.
0: That's great. Um, I have a question for you guys before we turn it over to, to each platform. If you had to pick one thing to stick out of this, what would you want it to be? One thing that you'd want to stick, uh, you know, and it can be as broad or reiterative as something you said before, but what would you want people, what would you hope stays and sticks? Uh, nice if we could keep it I'll in the first. digital and online run. Go ahead,
3: Kelly. I just think I really want uh, organizations to try some things now. I think there's a great opportunity. I think, you know, things like events going, um, you know, by the wayside, I think, there's just so many opportunities out there and, um, you know, brainstorm, listen to your young, listen to your old, older folks, see what happens. Um, just brainstorm, try things. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening out there and we just have to grab hold of it. You know, what's worked before is not necessarily going to work in the future and we need to, um, yeah, find what works within our organizations. So.
0: Be brave. Great. Okay. Jay. What
1: do you hope sticks? Uh, This, uh, you know, people have already embraced all sorts of new technology, and I hope all of that sticks. I hope people don't go back to their old methods uh, for that. Uh, I still remember, uh, you know, talking to someone uh, about email back many, many uh, moons ago, and the person said, well, you know, I have my secretary print out my emails, and then I edit them by hand, and then she does the edits and passes them back, and I'm going, that's not exactly how this is supposed to operate. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> let's let's em- embrace that in uh, a different methodology to do that. So I hope all of this openness toward new technology actually truly does stick, because I think it's been marvelous for our environment right, and, and other things and for people's time.
0: Absolutely. All right, Brady, what do you hope sticks?
2: Well, uh, let me let me try to tie a ribbon around some of the things we've been talking about, but the word that I keep thinking of is speed. And I think that's a big difference between digital and other communications is you prepare for speed and agility, which is massive. It's not like you have to be correct. You have to be quick. Uh, and I think that's what technology enables. And that's what testing is supposed to help enable is saying, let's not spend more time around boardrooms saying who's right or wrong. Let's... Actually, put this out mm. in the market and test. So, speed is is paramount, and it's not something you know that we equate with nonprofits. So, I think that's good. One thing that we haven't talked about that I do hope sticks is recurring, uh, particularly in the U.S., where recurring giving is starting to pick up, but it lags you know behind. We're seeing a lot of success now. Canada Helps, I know, is reporting a fifty percent increase in monthly gifts here in Canada, and it's a really good uh, offer, I think, for right now of saying basically you give less today. And can make a bigger impact over time and provide valuable support each and every month as organizations try to ride the crisis. Mm. So I think it's actually putting people into a position to ask and present recurring giving more, which is absolutely fantastic. You know, if I could make wave a magic wand and just have every organization focus 10 times more on recurring gifts, I would, I would love to do that. So hopefully that happens and, and sticks a bit, too.
0: Thanks, Brady. You just made Harvey McKinnon's day. So thanks, for that. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, guys. No surprise. Uh, you guys are amazing. I can't thank you enough for, for taking part in today's podcast. Uh, we have many more podcasts on this topic alone, I'm sure we could do, and we will invite you back to talk about this and many other topics. But before we go, I want to give each of you a platform uh, to, uh, to, to to share with us where people can reach you or, or what you're doing with your firms or what's going on. In, first, Kelly – um, why don't you start um the, we don't have to give a commercial about betrayal, but you can talk about whatever you'd like that's really uh, a, pet, a pet peeve or something that is really important to you about this topic
3: pet peeve that's welcoming <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> um no i i'm just i'm happy to share a lot of my knowledge um with you know the Trails clients with my own clients um you know online is something that um you know, I really want everybody to embrace. I think no matter what, it's here, and you can still create really great relationships online. Might need to act a little bit different, um, or, you know, respect of time, things like that. Um, but you can, you know, you can find donors online, um, you can communicate with them. Um, I've even heard through our meetings that people are having some of the best one on one major gift style uh, meetings um you know the work we do at Betrayo is a lot of feasibility studies and we're talking to some major stakeholders for each and every organization and some are having the best meetings they've had so I think you know back to everybody's point about hoping we don't go back um I still love meeting one-on-one when we're doing major gift uh, type work or campaign organization but this can work as well and I think the embracing of that is uh is super powerful to uh, move forward especially over the next what seems to be you know going to be a long time to come so
0: thanks kelly over to you brady what do you want people to leave thinking about
2: oh man there's there's a lot in there i think you know Kel- kelly's a uh concert what she mentioned earlier of saying you know try things we would say you know test things trying things is great <laughs> but you know actually <laughs> having a, a format to actually test that is trying things is good, yes. testing things is even better. And uh trying things could be like, you know, adopting new technology. Trying things could be actually sending more email communication. And that's great. And then hopefully that can then lead into to testing. Um and then if, if people want to kind of like learn more, is that what we're doing now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know you know,
0: Bra- you know, know what I love about you, Brady, is that you're such a nerd that you missed the marketing opportunity here. Okay, this is your marketing opportunity.
2: <laughs> there we go. Okay, good. Um, may- maybe two things. One, you can go to nextafter.com slash pod. We kind of put together a page that has our latest offers. So if you're interested in taking a, a course and getting certified in online fundraising in a certain area, email fundraising, donation pages, et cetera, you can find that there, um, as well as our podcast. And then some else that, that we're doing is we created a this coronavirus response page in the nonprofit for the nonprofits in the US. And again, we're tracking online giving behavior of 90 organizations and email behavior. Uh, and actually showing you the emails of 152-plus nonprofits and how it's changing over time, whether they're mentioning COVID, to try to expose some of that data and research to senior decision makers. So we've done that, and we're actually doing a Canadian one now. So we're going to partner with Canada Health, Care2, and Charity Village to create a kind of Canadian dashboard of uh, emails and giving and resources. So that um, you can find those at nextafter.com, but we're really just trying to unearth different data sources so that people have more confidence in you know what are nonprofits doing and how are donors responding?
0: Thanks very much for that, Brady. I um, are they able to get that at next after next after right on the website or do they have to sign in or 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 pay? Yeah, no, it's it's
2: no that part's free. It's uh it's all free and accessible. Um, you, you if you go to nextafter.com, you'll find the links for each of those resources.
0: That's great. Thanks, Brady, and good luck on your travels to Texas. Journey. Thank you. Good luck at the border, and uh, we will miss you. But I'm sure you have a spare bedroom that we can come and visit you there
2: when we're not social <laughs> yeah.
0: distancing. I was <laughs> going to say,
2: yeah, not now, but maybe in the future.
0: <laughs> now, Jamie, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the opportunity to close out the show.
1: Absolutely, you, know, you don't have, you don't have to mention the word marketing more than once uh, for that. <laughs> uh, I would really try to point people to our our bloomerang website. It's bloomerang.com. CO or dot dot .com, either one is fine. We have a whole resource section and one of the newer sections in the resource, uh, it's actually labeled uh, COVID-19 success and we have nine different success stories that are actually short videos of people that have turned uh, what was supposed to be a law special event into a virtual event and made three times the money or people that did various appeals and things that with that, both organizations related to the crisis and organizations not related at all. So that resource section of our Bloomerang website is chock full. And I'm just delighted to be here because one of our most rapidly growing segments of our business is our Canadian friends and customers now. So uh, it's great to be part of such a, a great country and a great group of fundraisers that are north of the border from us.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jay, and thanks so much uh, for everything you've done for the industry, uh, both personally and as a company. Uh, we're really excited this year in Canada to be uh, engaging our very own fundraising effectiveness project, which I know oh, you're yes, involved. Oh, yes, it's true.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yep. yeah. So, so, and the fundraising effectiveness project is a fantastic, you know, data collection and benchmark tool nice. available to folks, but it has been primarily U.S. institutions. With some Canadian. Now, this is a, a one that's being involved in Canada that Canadians can benchmark against Canadian institutions, which I think is super great. So, yep. thank you for that. Thank you, Brady. Thank you, Kelly. With that, our gift of another Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Betrayo, has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you will join us next month for our ninth episode of this year when we will be doing a live Zoom podcast for AFP Edmonton and area. We're working on guests. Stay tuned. Until then, take care, stay safe, and stay sane. We look forward to talking with you soon. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Nicole Nardi, Katja Asomanning, and me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is produced in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Vitreo Group. That's at Sign V-I-T-R-E-O Group. You can listen and subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or by visiting our website, Betrayogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, and hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.